Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. This week, as requested by the Warner Brothers algorithm, we have Josh Martin back on the show. Josh, thank you. Thanks for having me again, and thank you to the wonderful Warner Brothers algorithm for bringing me back on. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, thanks to Don Cheadle for making this this choice for us. A, a joke that, if you haven't seen the Space Jam sequel, may or may not make sense later in the episode. But first, Josh, we have some some big uh, news from the, the world of cinema. Can just wrapped up. Spike Lee in a hilarious and incredibly relatable <laughs> i have to ask were you were you watching it live because no i, I, w- I wasn't <laughs> i was like for whatever reason i was following along with the with the broadcast and i was like or was following along with tweets and then i was like oh is there any way i can watch this live and so i looked it up and literally just as i turned on it was like as if you didn't see it live the way it happened was um the the master of ceremonies or the presenter uh, at the at the show asked spike uh, mr president can uh which award do you want to present first or what's your first prize to hand out and so spike hears that and goes oh well they want me to say the first prize so he gets up and he goes the winner of the palm door is <laughs> Titan." and melanie laurent is like are you kidding me? And so, and then it turned into this big, you know, hubbub. Um, what? I, I I watched the clip later and was just like, that's exactly the kind of mistake I would make if I was the head juror. Oh yeah, at, it at was. Can. You can and, tell and the later. Incredible, you, I don't yeah. I don't know if you saw the still image that someone took of everyone on that jury's reaction, <laughs> like the moment he's saying it, and like uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal's reaction, like has her mouth open and um is it song kang ho who is on the the, uh, who's just sort of like kind of laughing to himself in the front row and just looking very stylish um you and i were obviously not at can this year both largely because it's it's a it's a hot ticket to go to and uh you know there's uh still a pandemic going on but i wanted to kind of pick your brain and see uh, what did you sort of think of the coverage around Cannes this year? Because I, I always kind of look forward to reading a lot of the pieces coming out of Cannes. It's, I think, one of the more fun festivals to sort of um, hear kind of the, the latest hot takery yeah. <laughs> from, um, which, you know, is something that happens with every film festival. But I've have, I, I feel like with Cannes, there's just like an extra little dose of like, let's really, really oversell this or or more specifically to can because i feel like this doesn't quite happen at other festivals if something is even kind of bad the can audience has a chance has yep. a like the booing at can is a a famed thing as much as the like nine and a half minute standing ovations um so I, I, how did you feel kind of digesting a lot of the the can news this year yeah i mean it was very nice to get back to the um you know the the old style of of festival circuits and stuff like that because last fall was really um taken out by the the pandemic i mean yeah venice still happened yeah toronto still happened 
Um, but there was, you know, the, a lot of the big films got pushed back by, you know, almost a full year. And so, you know, a lot of the films that were originally going to play at Cannes 2020, whether that's Leos Carax's Annette uh, with Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard, um, or uh, Apija Pong's uh, uh, Memoria, um, you know, those were films that uh, Paul Verhoeven's Benedetta, which has obviously become a, you know, hot button uh, film already. Um, you know, all of those were originally going to be at Cannes 2020, even like Wes Anderson's The Friends of Dispatch was confirmed to be there. So, you know, it almost felt like jumping into things a year later, um, you know, picked right back up where we went, uh, uh, where we left off. Um, and, you know, I will say for me, Cannes this year was, uh, it was really thrilling to read, you know, each film. Uh, obviously, I feel like as a, as a critic, as a spectator, I have much less, you know, my excitement for a film isn't going to be quite as dictated by the reaction it gets as a, at a festival as it maybe would have been five right. or six years ago, where, you know, I was, you know, checking, you know, obsessively to see, oh, it was the reaction to this new film and, oh, people right. didn't like it. Oh, you know, I'm going to see it either way. Um, and if anything, you're right. I think there is an air of, uh, you know, things get a little overpraised at festivals or underpraised. You know, there's all sorts of interesting things going on, especially at the European festivals, because there's such a rich tradition of uh, film studies and film analysis there. But um, for me, you know, it's when you're in the States and you're watching, you know, the new stuff that comes out, whether it's Space Jam 2 or more uh, Marvel you know, some of it's good, some of it's crap, you know, I don't know. It's just, there's a lot of Marvel at this point. Um, and that's the stuff that's coming out every week. There is a bit of like a, it is just like a breath of fresh air to be following, you know, the news. And there's all these, you know, really interesting films, whether they're, you know, really soundly in the art film category or whether, you know, something like Annette or the Wes Anderson film that sort of is going to, you know, potentially has some crossover appeal. Um, just, you know, real films made by directors and writers and, you know, the, the kind of cans you're right with the, with the booing and the, you know, eight hour long ovations. It is a very, um, you know, pretentious film space. Like it's just, that is kind of the unfortunate, um, nature of, of cans, but you know, it was very exciting to me this year, and it was hard to be too cynical about um, the coverage or about how things turned out. And, you know, I think I think everyone sight unseen and even the people who did get to see the films, they were everybody was pretty excited about um, the way the awards shaped up. You yeah, know, there, weren't, there weren't too many where people were like, oh, how the hell did that film get a that's, win? It was, that's almost like another hilarious thing in of itself is when the because the the. Uh, you know, I'm sure you're the same way as someone who's been like reading can coverage for mm -hmm. like years and years. It's it's pretty funny when you see like this jury that is different every year and just like yeah. what this like when this collection of people is in their own bubble and like pick something like I, I'm trying. I think it was the there was like a George Miller year a few uh, when um 
I believe it was Ken Loach's I yep. Daniel Blake. I think think that was um, the one, yeah. And and was basically like a movie no one was kind of like had much of a I I, I think the reception from what I remember was just sort of a like, eh, fine. And yeah, it's I mean it's a, it was a social issues movie. I mean, a lot of Ken Loach's stuff is very um you know, it comes from that like kitchen sink realism uh right. you know, school of British and people were just like, okay, yeah, it's a it's another Ken Loach movie. It's like right, and then and then it won here. the yeah, won then the it palm, won the yeah. palm, and and there was like an uproar, and, and I don't know. It's always funny too. To I I think you get a sense of like what this kind of grouping of judges who are people in the industry from all over the world, what they can kind of like come together and agree on. Um, which let's maybe go through through some of the movies. Um, it, if only to kind of like, I guess, tease a little bit of kind of the reaction we've heard. And, you know, yeah. you and I have not seen either of these, so I feel like we can't fully explore too much. Um, I will say the one other kind of thing that just comes to mind about the coverage this year is I think because of the pandemic, there was simultaneously less coverage. Like there are a lot of American outlets that I know didn't go. I pretty much saw like hardly any British outlets went. And so it felt like it both wasn't as hysterical as in years past, while also everyone who did go, like I I correct me if I'm wrong, I I, I feel like I there was hardly a film that was kind of like the maybe one which we'll get to that was kind of the like, let's dogpile on this. But um Sean it, Penn, it, yeah, thank you for your service. Which somehow was the Sean Penn movie, and then like a lot of people were humorously pointing out, like when the reviews actually were dropping, it was like, eh, it's okay, but the, like the immediate Twitter reactions was people being like, Sean Penn needs to be banished back yeah. to the hole which he came from, or something like that. Well, I'll say I'll definitely say the so for any like listeners who haven't been like, you know, keeping up with like how cans worked this year. You know, every country's in very different places on the pandemic, and there were rapidly shifting restrictions about who could and couldn't enter the country for cans, who uh, needed to quarantine and who didn't, who needed to get tested. Um, one of the things that most like cans attendees are notorious for is just complaining about random things. And so one of the big things this year that people were upset about was, uh, you know, they had to do like a spit test for covid and they were all just like you know oh it's so repulsive. apparently Anyways. the website was crashing and yeah, there was like there... a very meticulous like you have to reserve your tickets like 48 hours in advance thing yeah um as opposed to just being like i'm gonna go see this today and then like exactly have, have it be more spur of the moment um so all 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 is to say of like i i enjoyed getting a sense of some of these these hopefully great art house movies that are going to be coming down the line, but also felt a little bit in the air, a sense of like just excitement to be back at a festival and maybe yeah. that over hyping a little bit of the reaction I saw on Twitter. Um, let's, let's kind of get to the awards. You kind of mentioned it up at the top, the French film, just like Spike Lee did. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the French film Titan, uh, won the, the Palme d'Or. If you know, anyone listening doesn't know what that is it's probably i mean correct me if i'm wrong it's probably like the most prestigious if not one of the most prestigious awards in 
the entire world for for movies like yeah I, for 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 world and international cinema i mean i think it surpasses even the the best picture oscar in terms of uh its significance and its weight right um, like i i've i've heard i mean someone we're going to talk about later on the podcast like tarantino has said the the palm door he has for pulp fiction means infinitely more to him than either of the two screenplay oscars he has of yeah. just to like give a significant of like internationally the oscars kind of doesn't mean anything except here in the united states but this is a sort of like worldwide important award um i'm really looking forward to this movie it, it's directed by um i hope i'm going to pronounce her name right uh julia dockerno um who is a french filmmaker she made a movie a few years back called raw that i thought was really really excellent um a pretty like gnarly yeah, it's coming something. of age. Gnarly is definitely the word. Gnarly is the word that people it came to mind, and I was like, "Oh, so many people!" But it is absolutely the word that everyone uses to describe that film. Um, it's intense. Yeah, no, I remember people. Uh, I think that one was famous for at the at its TIFF midnight movie premiere or whatever. Like some lady passed out or really? You know, yeah, it was. It was either uh, a woman or a, maybe it was a. No, it was. It was. There was a big story at the time, and it was. Yeah. You know, it was. Uh, it's very, very intense. And uh, um, I mean, th- this new yeah. movie of hers, I don't know too much about it. Um, I, you know, I've just sort of like most of the reaction I saw, it sounds equally very gnarly and very out there and very crazy. Um, also notable because she's the second woman in history to win this award. Um, Jane Campion, previously the only woman to have won this award for the piano back in 1993. So this is kind of a, a, a history making, um, award win. Uh, as well as I just saw a lot of the the reaction from people who were there were like, man, good Spike Lee. What a, what a treasure just to like pick. I, 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 Cause I just remember a lot of the reviews I read were like, this movie is awesome and is like really insane, but is probably like too crazy and gross and weird for this award. And uh, sure enough, the jury went for it. I, yep. I don't know. Do you, do you have any more kind of like to add about it or I really know nothing. I, you mentioned the last night, I think that neon is releasing it sometime this year. So we'll hopefully get to talk about that on this show in the coming months. Um, I don't, I don't know. Do you kind of know any more about it than, than I do? Um, yeah, no, I mean, just to bounce back to what I was saying a second ago. Yeah, they did at the TIFF premiere, two people, it doesn't specify the gender. So I don't know how I got either of those in my brain, but, um, uh, Multiple people passed out and one required medical attention, so the paramedics were called. Anyways, those are the kind of films that uh, Julia Ducournau uh, makes, and she has really sort of, you know, I think uh, Raw was her debut feature, and uh, Titan is her her second, um, and she's become a force in international cinema in you know a very short amount of time. Um, you know, the last film with some genre elements to. Uh, uh, when the palm was the last one uh, parasite i don't anticipate that this will repeat and that uh, uh titan has a uh um uh, a chance at the at the best picture prize but um, never say I, never <laughs> from what i know it's a kind of um I, i've heard comparisons to david cronenberg uh, yeah and his yeah. film crash that's been the big one that i've heard um 
there is a trailer online. Neon is releasing it, presumably in the fall. I imagine it'll go to more of the fall festivals. It sounds like TIFF is going to be a bit of a mess this year um, with uh, Canadian quarantine restrictions. Yeah, um, isn't that festival going to be, I guess, if you live in Canada, yeah, there'll be some physical yeah. screenings and then otherwise there'll be some digital options for international yeah. journalists. So, But I imagine Titan will play perhaps at Midnight Madness there and almost certainly at uh, Austin's Fantastic Fest before... I just spitballing probably an October release. Um, right. But, you know, um, I don't know when Spike announced the, 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 the movie uh, or when he was talking about it at the press conference afterwards. Um, it's like, he's, you know, he was talking about the fact that none of them disagreed and his statement on the movie. And I will leave this as my final word as what we're getting. He's like, I've never seen a movie where a Cadillac impregnated a woman. So uh, that is where we are headed with Titan. And that is how wild it sounds. Um, and I can't wait. I mean, I've heard it's another one that's going to be sort of, I watched, I have to be honest, cause since we were talking about passing out and stuff, I watched a screener of raw uh-huh. uh, at home from the comfort of my bed. So I didn't have to experience that in the theater. I don't know. Maybe I would have, maybe I would have passed out or felt, uh, uh, probably you know feeling a little bit more on the nauseous side but um, it sounds like uh, Titan is going to be that kind of movie um, damn I can't wait that's all yeah. I have to say <laughs> well were there any other uh, films that that kind of caught your attention that got some rapturous praise um, you know some of the ones that I saw that kind of that didn't win any of the awards um, should be noted that uh, and we can go through the awards if you want but uh can only gives one movie an award well yep yeah, with, yes a movie. with the exception of you can i believe because i think in like 2018 lynn ramsey won for the screenplay for you were never really here and then joaquin phoenix won best actor so it is okay. possible but for the but like yeah you can't there couldn't be like a sweep like Appar- uh, apparently a, a the story behind that is like that rule happened right after the i believe it was the 92 can when barton fink basically like won every single award and people oh, were okay. like this can't happen again <laughs> never again um, <laughs> not to americans no um so i mean two of the other movies that i heard kind of like pretty rapturous praise about um red rocket which is yep. uh the the new film from sean baker who made the the florida project and tangerine um a24 is putting that out at the end of this year um if you're a north carolina listener i can almost guarantee that that one will be at film fest 919 (laughs) so just you know i have no inside info just that the co-screenwriter is like associated with the festival so and a movie uh, that yeah, I heard that, good things about that too yeah and a movie that didn't play in the competition but i also heard kind of like rapturous reviews of was the souvenir part two which mm, i don't think yeah. you and i have ever talked about the the first souvenir movie that joanna hogg did from a couple years ago i really liked it it would have been like a top 10 of mine for 2019 i think that movie came out um just like a really great coming of age story um but also the kind of movie that you would not expect to get a sequel and yeah. it sounds like the sequel is just as good if not better than the that that film yeah and i've heard it's a really like fascinating deconstruction of the first film and right. know, it follows a filmmaker um you know and joanna hawk has this really interesting uh you know at times minimalistic um style that yeah i think could be really fascinating yeah the other film that i heard um 
from outside of the competition that got a lot of praise that I was looking forward to a lot and was glad that it got the reception it did was um, uh, Hoganada's After Yang. Mm, um, yeah. Which he made Columbus, which is um, this phenomenal indie film from a few years ago with Haley Lee Richardson and, and John Cho. Um, just a, a great film that went under scene at the time. And uh, After Yang sounds great. And I think he's a really talented uh, director. He started as a video essayist. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if one of his future films is playing in competition. So, Yeah, I'm really excited for that as someone who really likes Colin Farrell. So. Yeah. <laughs> um some of the other ones I, I i also heard a lot of really strong opinions about bergman island which i know is one of the more mm, anticipated yeah. ones going in there um from mia hansen love and um i assume that's coming out later this year as well I, I i've heard that one's more of just sort of like it's kind of like a more atmospheric vibe movie it's basically about a, a filmmaking couple played by vicky crepes from phantom thread and tim roth i believe is the the husband and they go to the island where uh, Ingmar Bergman lived and I, I believe shot several of his more yeah, iconic Pharaoh, movies. Pharaoh, I believe it's pronounced. Yeah. Um, and so they go there to try and uh, write their different screenplays themselves. And there's maybe some fantastical elements to it. Um, we'll see. We'll see how that, that shakes out. But yeah. um, that's another one I heard a lot of really strong reactions of um as well as uh, a hero the new um film from iranian director azhar fahardi uh i <laughs> i don't know too much about it other than it sounds it was, good and i it believe was it compared to uncut gems which someone pointed on Twitter interesting and I can't remember who but that like three or four movies during the festival were compared to uncut yeah. Gems. it's you know that was kind of like the last big uh you know sensation before the pandemic so i'm not surprised that it's getting comparisons but yeah no i've heard great things about that one and it seemed for a while to be a potential uh palm contender it ended up with the second prize or time right. for the second prize with um i believe a finnish film called compartment number six which i really yes. didn't hear much about i wasn't Same. i was a little surprised when that um took home the uh, the co-second place prize yeah. there were lots of co-prizes this year right um, i believe apparently the, the the jury prize, which is sort of the third one, was yep. also a tie between um, uh, a Peach Pong's new movie, Memoria, yep. with Tilda Swinton, which I'm really excited for as someone who like really loves uh, Uncle Boon Me can recall past lives, um, yeah. and you know as well as is just a lover of Tilda Swinton. Um, and I have no, I, there is a trailer out for that one. I believe neon neon is releasing that one this year. I believe you yep. said last night. And then I believe I saw Amazon is releasing the Vahardi movie. Okay. Um, so hopefully both of those will get to see towards the end of the year. Um, yeah, those no, are definitely. obviously two like Titans of international cinema. Um, yeah. and have like great, films that if you have not seen like if you've not seen uncle boomy or if you've not seen a separation or in any of their work i would very very different filmmakers i it's weird yeah. for me to lump them together one is like a a sort of like a surrealist minimalist filmmaker and the other yeah. one is is a very like um you know uh 
works a lot in like domestic dramas and and sort of more uh grounded stories about ordinary people being thrust into incredibly stressful circumstances um, yeah a separation does kind of have a little bit of that uncut gems thing now that i'm sort of recalling that okay that that from what i, I remember actually... is a movie where there's like a lot of just sort of like screaming and chaos and like a ticking clock of of chaos going on i'm rather behind on um asgar farhadi's work so i'm actually excited to catch up with some of his films before um i see the new one um yeah but i mean peach pong is um one of the sort of titans of, of slow cinema um it is always funny for me to read the the reactions i had a tweet of it because people were talking about when the wes anderson film dropped and almost all the reviews were like wow wes anderson really doubled down and made another wes anderson movie who could have guessed it and the the reviews for the apijapong were very similar where it was like wow apijapong more more long takes you know another crazy plot who could have guessed this but see i, I was gonna know. ask you about that one because that is the one that i didn't really see that many reviews for and maybe it was because of like me being busy um just with stuff in my own life on the, the day that one premiered at can um, memoria yeah, yeah no i mean it was definitely um so that was one of my most anticipated going into the festival i, I like all of apicha pong's films or at least all, all of the ones i've seen and i love uh, his film tropical malady which is um this really um sort of monumental achievement of both slow cinema and queer cinema um and uh it, it's a, a great film uh, hard to find but it's a great film um so i was very excited for this is his first english language film um and uh and yeah i mean it, it, this is to me was it was one of those where um it showed the a little bit of the shortcomings of the festival reactions because it is like you know i did see some complaints from people who were like oh they screened this so late in the festival and uh and a peach upon style has been described by some as like um somnambulistic where it's just like it's gonna make you fall asleep at some point uh along with Simon Myung uh Peter Pong is one of those directors who almost kind of like encourages you to fall asleep during the movies that there is a sort uh-huh. of uh lulling quality to the filmmaking um and so I imagine it was a bit difficult for people who had just watched you know 15 days of movies um but the reviews were were really uh solid and um that trailer that came out the other day from Neon was great um and gave me exactly what I what I wanted and um yeah, as a fan of his work, I am. Uh, that's one of my most anticipated for the rest of the year. So let's maybe wrap up with some kind of like more divisive movies that played at the festival. Um, you mentioned the Wes Anderson movie, which um, yeah, I I the sense I get is like if you are a a fan of the Wes Anderson house style and in particular his like very meticulous like diorama visual style and the way he directs actors and the very kind of like deadpan way that they um, fire off dialogue, you you know, you will be a fan. And if that kind of like irritates you about Wes Anderson, I I guess what I'm saying is like the sense I got is if you are charmed by the Wes Anderson house style, you will probably really enjoy this. It sounds like it's at least his most sort of visually um, pleasurable movie to watch. But if you are not a fan of the Wes Anderson house style, then th- this might be a yeah. bit of an excruciating watch for you. <laughs> I'm actually very interested to to see it in part because um, I am almost 
bizarrely split on on Anderson's films in that I really you know really like some of them I'm I'm not as fond of others um the Grand Budapest Hotel is uh, one of my absolute favorite films not just mm. amongst his work but just period I I think it's uh, his masterpiece um and I'll be very surprised to be to be honest if any of his films in the future um top it though you know he's still he's getting ready to shoot another one with guess who tilda swinton and bill murray um but uh it's yeah i think that was gonna be shot in spain but um i'm interested i mean from what i've heard french dispatch is very much a um uh an anthology movie Mm -hmm. almost where it's um different chapters uh disconnected stories um but I'm, i'm most excited to see him this is his first live action movie in in seven years um isle of dogs was okay but yeah um, i'm with you i was not very fond of that film um and it's really the only one that you know wes anderson's films get often critiqued as being um you know overwhelmingly white uh Mm -hmm. and often uh fairly so um you know with a film like darjeeling limited which has been critiqued on those grounds a lot you could argue that it's a film um you know almost about those issues of, of privilege uh and race uh, Isle of Dogs a little harder to to defend um, it, on those grounds, and uh, you know when I read some of the criticism of that, I wasn't fond of the movie just on narrative or aesthetic terms, but that you know I made it even more like yeah okay. Um, so I'm excited to see him, um, you know, back in a little bit more of his comfort zone. Not that he's not good at stop motion. Fantastic Mr. Fox is a lot of fun, right. but um, you know, I- I'm excited to see him yeah. back in in this realm. Yeah, I I tend to like his movies. There's a lot of people in this cast that I'm fascinated to see how they behave in his movies because the ones thinking about uh the movies of his that I really like, the ones that stand out for me are the ones that have um people in the ensemble that can kind of like I don't know, add a little bit of energy and sort of liveliness to um how the the sort of meticulous world he's created and the ones that kind of like isla dogs that are a little bit more um i don't know just sort of controlled and don't quite have that spontaneous energy to them yeah i i sort of like admire them uh from a technical standpoint but i'm always just a little bit like that's fine um so we'll we'll see um another divisive one that we're gonna get to talk about here in a few weeks is annette uh leo carax uh won the directing award um it seems i thought i have to (laughs) i have to mention earlier when you said this could be a crossover movie which is not the sense that i get from if this is a crossover movie it'll be someone someone on amazon is like oh adam driver and then it it sounds like i mean for anyone who hasn't seen any of uh leo carrick's previous movies um you know he he is a director that you either like love or hate him. Um, the three movies of his I've seen, I like, I really love two of them. And then one of them I think is a little bit boring, but like is at least really going for it. Yeah. Stylistically. Um, no, yeah. But so I need, to see, I, I need to see lovers on the bridge still, but um, yeah, that's, that's one of the two that I would say I, that and Holy Motors are the two that I really love. And then, yeah. Um, Move saying is, is Move saying the, yeah, is um, kind of the the boring one to me, but is, is holy, nonetheless holy, like yeah. really going for it. Like he is someone who makes yeah. very big stylistic choices, and you either like go with it or 
you're just like fuck this and like yeah. turn the tv off and so it 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 was funny reading some of the the reviews even the more positive ones of being like i i don't know what the hell you people were expecting of like of course he made a, a divisive movie that makes a lot of like very big stylistic choices oh, yeah. and you either like roll with it or you don't um yeah. i'm nonetheless still excited to see it yeah, no, I mean, there was certainly some stuff when I was reading about it that I was like, oh, well, I didn't get that from the trailer when it's like, apparently, like, the the, the, the baby is a marionette puppet. And I was like, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> um, so, no, I mean, Karak's is that I watched Holy Motors when I was um, really just sort of starting to dip my toes into international cinema. Mm-hmm. Probably wasn't the smartest choice. That is a very sort of out there film. It, it is very weird. Um, it has some remarkable moments, though. But, um, you know, yeah, no, but you're definitely right. I thought that as soon as I said it, I was like, yeah, Ned's going to be one of those that uh, Jeff Bezos regrets bankrolling. But, um, you know, that's OK. He's got too much money anyways. Um, I'd, I'd rather him bankroll more of that and less than... Lord of the Rings. Yeah, right. that's fine. Or, or you know, you can, um, you know, do one less space launch. and Yeah, exactly. You, you can go to space once instead of twice out of a year and you can fund another Leo Garrick's movie. <laughs> exactly. I will say about Annette, apparently, um, something interesting I read the other day is that, um, so we were talking about as the lead-in for this, of the, the sort of divisive movies of Cannes. Apparently this, and one of the weird things that people went, oh, that's strange, was, I don't know if you follow along, but every year um, Screen International does a critics jury where they have critics from uh like all around the globe and they put it out in our little grid and they like rate the cans movies it's like uh you know uh-huh. sean penn's movie got like a 1.1 1. 1. uh yikes titan got a 1.6 which is kind of fascinating uh to see the the critics reception compared to you know some of the other stuff but annette finished i believe um you know second or third in that poll i think the apichapong topped it eventually but um and the the Ryusuke Hamaguchi film Drive My Car was the the leader, but Annette finished with a three out of four, which was really uh, rather strong. And people were like, "That's weird." It seemed really divisive, but apparently, um, it's already out in France, and the reaction there um, and in international circles has been much more unanimously positive. And only really U.S. critics. I think David Ehrlich kind of hated it. Um, yeah, but... I I read his review, and then I read Justin Chang's review in the L.A. Times, which yeah. was much more positive and was was a bit like I don't. I think he was sort of baffled by some of the choices, but it, he was like, it was thrilling to at least see someone like go for these big swings. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I've sort of barely begun to familiarize myself with Sparks, uh, which is the I didn't see that Edgar Wright documentary, but I want to eventually. It's, but it's pretty um, solid. I, I would say yeah. probably like I'm glad I saw it before hopefully seeing this in a few weeks. Yeah, it's definitely. Um, but and it sounds like they wrote a very interesting film. And uh, Adam Driver is one of my favorite working actors. And so, um, yeah, no matter the response, I'm excited for for Annette and uh, yeah. yeah you're right we're gonna get to see it in just a few weeks so um and the last kind of divisive one I wanted to bring up um and then I can toss it to you if there were any others that played at the festival you wanted to chime in on um the, the Paul Verhoeven movie it seemed yeah. kind of got a divisive response I I was kind of fascinated by how it was divisive of like the split seems to be some correct me if I'm wrong the split seems to be some people being like this is like an incredible work from like one of our great provocateurs 
and yeah. other people being like, um, excuse me, this is like some some mild shit right here, and like, yeah, some of you need to go see. I think like uh, there was a tweet I saw that was just like, I forget who said it, but it was just like a bunch of some of y'all out here need to go see Ken Russell's The Devils. Um, which is which, a true uh, everyone should go watch <laughs> ken russell's the devils uh least of all because it makes an appearance in space jam too but ken russell's the devils is a masterpiece but yeah i heard <laughs> i i heard that yeah you know what i'm talking about now um but um yeah i, I guess i'll pick up on the yeah i mean definitely it seemed like obviously you know the the catholic legion of you know motion picture decency or whatever or uh catholic league i forget the organization but someone was very offended you know shocker i don't know you know pick a higher bar and then right. you know a movie that 50 weird horny cinephiles will watch at the ifc center in new york but um you know yeah i mean uh Ehrlich, I, I brought him up earlier in context of annette i mean he called that one dull he called this one dull too um which for me was kind of i was like i don't know find another adjective but um uh yeah i mean it was uh, the reception seemed to be some people you're right thought it was wow okay yeah you know paul's still got it at age right. 80 and he can still be provocative and and stuff and other people were like yeah you know oh okay you have a statue of mary in the you know turned into a dildo oh big deal so you know i, I don't know i'm sure if like your grandma watches it she'll be offended you know yes cinephiles who've made it their duty to watch just the most wild shit every year might be less amused i don't know i'm excited well, it's yeah, you know i'm, I'm excited i mean you know what, what a guy l managed to piss people off uh you know a few years ago yeah. when that came out that was uh very country i saw that with my dad at tiff he will remember i was at toronto that wow. year, um, and he will remember that forever it was yeah kind of a not a smart one to, to pick but i wanted to see the new verhoven damn it even at age 17 um you know so that one was pretty out there i imagine this one you know it's one of those movies where if it was a mainstream movie you know like verhoven stuff he made in the 90s you know right. maybe i'd be more interested in seeing the reception but Contemporary cinephilia is such a, a such a you know minor bubble at this point that like right. the only people who get upset are going to be people who go out like searching for this movie and so I think it'll be interesting to see the you know it, it will inevitably just as Titan is I don't know if you saw the interview with uh, Ducour now but um, you know all of these movies are going to be you know just unfortunately brought into the take uh, cycle the the take cycle on sex scenes and whether we should have whether you know you know cinema's too horny cinema's not horny enough you know the crap people argue about on twitter every day and unfortunately these movies which seem to be rather interesting works of art in and of themselves will be you know part of this generational battle over sexuality and cinema and so you know i'm sure this isn't the last we'll hear about them and yeah but i'm excited i think the thing is is like all of these in the end it's like it goes back to like yeah well i'm excited to see it i mean there's very few movies right. that played at cans where i'm like 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 the sean penn i have no interest um but for the most part i'm looking forward to seeing most of these movies yeah well were there any other can titles that you wanted to bring up before we kind of move to maybe the movie that should have won the palm door <laughs> um you know, no, not. I mean, I'm excited for uh, Drive My Car, which is this three-hour film that was the, the sort of critics' darling. 
I'm not uh, uh, overly familiar with uh, Hamaguchi's work, but he's had a few films premiere at the festival, and it made me want to check out his work. Um, I've kind of started on a Hong Sang-soo project, the mm. Korean director, where I'm sort of working my way through some of his films. He had a film premiere at Berlin earlier this year. He had another one premiere at Cannes this year. He works at a very fast pace, um, so I'm excited to see that. Um, but yeah, we've really hit most of the big ones. Um, yeah. but overall, it was a very, uh, very encouraging festival. Um, uh, the worst person in the world got bought by neon. That sounds like an interesting one too. So, um, you know, yeah, I mean, if cans is kind of of itself, like a, a state of cinema project, um, you know, we got the first solo, um, palm door winner, uh, as a woman, you know, that's a huge milestone. I had no idea, honestly, because I was trying to think of who the winners had been in the past, and I knew Jane Campion, but I had no idea that... She uh, tied. There was a tie, and it's like, you know, which is kind of uh, um, frustrating and, and deflating, and I imagine, but, um, you know, and even if the sort of history-making moment of it was thrown off a little bit by Spike's gaffe, um, you know, it still seemed like it was a really sort of uh, major milestone for the festival and um um and i think everyone kind of knew anyways uh, the filmmaker isabel sandoval she had been tweeting about you know how there was like this you know potential for a monumental palm um mm. and when folks looked at the movies that were listed back we were like okay yeah it's gonna be titan so yeah um looking forward to seeing all of it uh it was a great cans um and you know, I hope to actually be able to go to the festival in the future. I had thought about yeah. it in 2020, and uh, I'm very glad that I did. That I was rejected for press credentials. So, yeah, thank you to Cans for being selective, because otherwise I would have been out of a lot of money on a plane ticket. Well, we've reached I have that a time. Spike Lee would have awarded Space Jam New Legacy oh. the Palm Door had 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 it played. You know, there was thought. There were thoughts at one point in time. I don't know if you remember this, but like Thierry Frémo, the uh, um, the director, the, the head of, of the Cans. festival. Yeah, he's the yeah. head of the festival. He makes the selections, um, and then the jury votes on them. Um, he at one point said, "Oh, there's this planetary blockbuster that's coming to Cannes," and everyone was like, "Oh my gosh, what's could it be? Could it be? Is it Dune? Is it?" Eternals? Oh my gosh, what is it? And everybody assumed it was a space movie, and then when someone asked him that later, they said they assumed it was science fiction, and he said, what, because I said planetary? That's stupid. <laughs> Thank you, Turned Thierry. out it was Fast and Furious. And it was Fast and Furious 9 on the beach, but people for a brief moment were like, what yeah. if Space Jam premieres at Cannes? Um, I don't think, you know, the Cannes Film Festival has premiered some some awful things over the years. They are by no means no. a bastion of quality, but I do not know if they would stoop to as low as putting Space Jam 2 at that festival. And I have to say, I'm looking at, you know, letterboxed ratings. I'm on the higher end of the, the spectrum you, of Space you Jam are. reviews. I, I gave I it think this two out of five. <laughs> um, I think it's terrible and also completely fascinating. And I, I uh -huh. think it's, I think you're, everyone is right in terms of as a movie. Um, one, it's maybe the longest film ever made. Um, it, it's it, it's an hour and 55 minutes. And every time I stopped it, I was like, oh my gosh, there's still more. Um, it is interminably long. Um, it is absolutely hideous. It, it's just CGI monstrosity. Um, it, it, it's 
so stupid and, and so many moments caused me great physical pain um i i obviously casablanca is my favorite film of all time um and seeing it as part of a montage with yosemite sam on the piano um do kids get that i mean i think you know people should watch casablanca but i'm a little baffled by some of the reactions i saw from people being like my kids loved it and being like i did they there's like some i don't know i mean i've seen in in this uh, this. I, the one that was the most baffling to me beyond the fact that they went oh we need somewhere to shoehorn these characters in but the one that i was like oh, look casablanca is the most famous um you know classic film in the warner catalog so i was like all right you're gonna do some casablanca that's fine austin powers i i, I do <laughs> enjoy those movies a lot and i guess it makes sense that elmer fudd would be mini me but like, what the hell? I mean, there's so many others you could have done. And like, th- there's just, there's a point at which the movie makes no sense where it's like, you know, they show different scenes with, with Harry Potter, but they don't actually like go into the Harry Potter. Did they not get the rights? Did they present that to JK Rowling? And she was like, absolutely not. It was just, it was so baffling in terms of, and all this, sh- like, the crap they had been, you know, advertising to people of, like, oh, they're going to go into different movies. And you got that outrageously stupid Matrix scene and the Mad Max scene. But it's all part of, like, one dumb, long montage where it's, like, you know... It doesn't even look good. Like, it, no, it, it, it looks doesn't. really terrible. Like, it looks... It, the, you know, as someone who watched... um you know, uh, who framed Roger Rabbit last last yeah. fall? Because I watched all the Zemeckis movies during quarantine, yep. and that movie holds up so well. And so oh, it's a masterpiece. The, the yeah. way that the the animated characters are interacting with in the live action world, and like those montage scenes of the Looney Tune characters in like the other live action movies, they look terrible. It just looks like they're grafted on to. The, yeah. the scene like someone just drew it on top of like the finished thing it doesn't feel as though they are like a living breathing part of that scene if that makes any sense yeah i mean and i gotta be honest like you know people have trashed a lot on lebron's acting first of all what did you expect i mean he's not an actor i, I think he's a good actor he's just like not given anything to do here well and the funniest thing was and i did think about this at one point because i was like i was i watched it with my brother and i they it starts very similarly to the original Space Jam, which I have to admit, I've only watched that in its entirety while sitting on a couch with friends, drinking beer and scrolling my phone. So, like, I can't say I've really seen Space Jam, but also that is the I, only I way I haven't seen can, it since I was probably six. That is so the only I'd, way I'd... I can imagine having seen it. So uh, I tried watching it one time. Um and it, it, it's awful um and i did not get through it and i also like i don't know not to start on sports discussions i do like even as a unc alum i like lebron more than i like michael jordan i like as much as not as a i am not getting into the player debate but just as a public figure uh-huh. um and but you know i was i made it crack to my brother i'm like do you think they're gonna show the the clip from the decision i was like i doubt they'll do that you know that was and but they did and i was like hey you know and so I've seen some people say like, man, this movie kind of makes LeBron's character look like an asshole for like 
three quarters of it. He's just like, he's like a terrible dad. He's like, you know, his kid wants to play video games and do stuff. And he's like, no, no, no. Um, but it actually kind of makes sense when you think about like LeBron James's star image as like sort of a mm-hmm. more, you know, uh, honest, um, you know, family man and someone who thinks about, you know, issues of masculinity and wanting to become a better person. So as predictable and rote as all that stuff is, I do think it is like, it does make sense. Um, for me, I'll say the most interesting thing about this movie is something that people have finally started to catch on about a few days ago. But it also demands that we talk a little bit about the backstory of this movie. So originally this film is going to be directed by um, a guy named Terrence Nance, who is uh, well known for an HBO series called um, Random Acts of Flyness. Um, and I'm not overly familiar with his work, but um, am I. But he's a, a really sort of... Um, popular figure um seems like sort of surrealist uh in nature um a satirist you know a sort of ironic humor um and worked on the film for ages and apparently uh this popped up on twitter a few days ago but apparently he was fired about four days before they went into production um and malcolm lee who uh you know has kind of made a made several films i think his most famous is um girls trip yeah he's done Um, like a few kevin hart comedies too right yeah, I'm looking at his credits right now. Night School, um, the Barbershop sequel, The Best Man, Holiday. Um, so, yeah, I think part of... Um, um, so, yeah, and he was brought in sort of at the last minute um, to... Yeah, so part of the sort of Will Packer Productions. You know, that, that's his mm-hmm. uh, brand. And he was brought in at the last moment to take over the production. And a lot of people have blamed that switch on why... Uh, this movie sucks so much because, and it's probably overly harsh on someone who had four days to come in and, you know, put their take on the material. But um, there are some things that make you go, wait a minute. There was a tweet the other day from someone. um, And I wrote about this in a review on letterbox. If anyone wants to read my expanded thoughts, but um, there was a Twitter user at Jacob.gov and they wrote on Twitter and they said, the bad guy in space jam two is a cynical studio algorithm that wants to make shallow, cynical ip exploitative crossover movies and that's true so don Cheadle plays this algorithm in the movie who is um he's the villain and you know he uh they present lebron with the opportunity to be in uh like batman and harry potter and lebron's like this is stupid um and then that becomes the whole thing is that like you know even in uh uh even in like the plot is that the algorithm uh seduced the the tunes out of tune world like they were all living there and then he said you can go anywhere in the the server for there's so much lingo in this movie that makes you just vaguely nauseous that it's hard not to um uh hard not to hate it but um so that explains why like why are roadrunner and wildy coyote and mad max well they i guess just decided something you know they wanted to the thing is is that any interesting ideas that the movie has is potentially a meta object and i was reading a lot about it because i was thinking i was like all right there's there's possibilities for interesting angles here and another twitter user um chris osborne um you know wrote they were actually arguing i think you know that it was a, a good film and uh that it was um i'll read this quote um the film depicts the looney tunes this is a direct quote from osborne the looney tunes as the lowest least valued assets in warner brothers ip universe to the point where they have to make appearances in other franchises to justify their existence uh and this is 
absolutely true. Um, and, and so it almost sets up for me, I was thinking while I was watching it, because there is a vague sense of like, get the band back together energy. Well, right. uh, almost like uh, the 2011 Muppets film was the first thing mm. that came to mind, which was also about, you know, to what extent are the Muppets relevant in contemporary culture? Unfortunately, what, because, unfortunately, any interesting impulse, any interesting commentary that Space Jam 2 might have about the Looney Tunes, about Hollywood, about algorithms, you know, the algorithm is the villain, but that doesn't stop them from overflowing the final hour long basketball scene with you know the droogs from clockwork orange and um because you know, a five-year-old's really gonna know who that is who they are <laughs> the nuns from the devils uh and uh you know it's they all and it's all it, this was in the trailer but it's all in this giant you know moment where they all rush upon the stadium and you've got the flintstones going yeah it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, all like ready player one yes. style of if it only exists so that like some schmo in the audience could be like Look, <gasps> there's there the mystery is. machine yeah i remember that i mean that that's um, my big problem with this movie is like like this movie becomes the thing the very thing that it, it is criticizing because it does not have the it, yep. the willingness to sort of explore like that is an actually that sounds like a great idea for a movie as someone who loved looney tunes cartoons when they were a kid yep. like do a a movie and i really like that 2011 muppets movie as someone yep. who watched the muppets a lot as a kid yep. is um you know do a movie that sort of uh, explores uh is like a meta meta commentary on like how relevant are the looney tunes in today's like media landscape and uh you know criticizes kind of like ip filmmaking and stuff like that but this is that like i yeah. i'm almost hesitant to even call this a movie this is a straight just in my opinion like the 115 minute however long it is advertisement for warner media for a like the i it almost blows my mind that this was never just going to premiere on hbo max because this yeah. is such a like i have to credit david sims review in the atlantic which i thought was made a really great point of like you can almost just imagine this movie ends and be like hey remember when they went to harry potter world guess what Check you can watch the, next yeah, yeah exactly and, and, and no. th this just strikes me as like a giant jerk off of one corporation yep. sort of saying like hey look at all of this awesome stuff we have in our library and that that that's not a movie to me and it it yeah like it I've, I've already been seeing some of the criticism of like oh it's a kid's movie you gotta you gotta Who let the kids it's like uh, yeah it's a terrible I'm, I'm kids with, movie yeah. this movie's horrible and it looks no. terrible like the when the looney tunes become their like Which cgi is almost like, almost like a body horror sequence it's like bugs bunny's arms getting slowly he's like ah what's happening to me it's 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 terrible right um, yeah i agree with you fully i mean i think you know, uh, like I was mentioning that review uh, on Twitter from Chris Osborne, you know, I, I admire uh, his sort of ability to, to you know, look deeper into it and, and sort of unpack the, the issues there. And I quoted it in my own review. Um, but I, I don't fully buy the conclusion that, you know, it's as, because so much of the film is so awful on top of, you know, anything potentially interesting that's happening. Because nobody, like, beyond... Bugs Bunny's one mention of like, oh, all my friends left me and nobody cares about, you know, Looney Tunes anymore. There's no real 
you know, it's not like they're playing the game of like, oh, we can prove that Looney Tunes are stu- still cool. No, they're playing it because the film adds these dumbass external stakes on top of it, where if they don't win, everyone's going to get erased, right? Um, you know, from existence, and it becomes this weird, dumb, you know. Um, uh, I have to credit uh, on Letterbox as well. Jay Ledbetter brought up a phenomenal point, which is that the the final game has no logic. Like, there's no you have I don't no understand idea what the rules of there the, are no the rules. That, that's exactly. like the idea is like they're playing a version of basketball that doesn't have any rules. And I could maybe get with that if you use that as sort of like a vehicle for like fun Looney Tunes hijinks. But the like the quote bits in there for the Looney Tunes hijinks are just oh. like. Bad don't bits. get me started like, don't, on the, the don't get me started on that Porky the Pig rap. Notorious I mean, Pig. Oh, 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 it's so bad. I mean, we we should honestly that, just 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 about leave it leave it there yeah, and leave it I mean, to to die on the side of the road. I I really do think it's it is about the worst movie that I've seen all year of the like forty some uh, movies that I've seen. If, yeah. if only because, like I said, this isn't a movie to me. This is an ad. This is an advertisement for a streaming service and this is like it it is a, it is the the bit that irritated me about like say ready player one but then like dialed up to 11 yeah which is and spielberg's it, it is, film is is much more self-conscious about its uh, about its sort of use of ip and i i, I know that one provokes split opinions but i, I do uh, yeah i mean i was a bit more generous because I, I think there is interesting stuff here um and also because if you approach the film which i did from the start just knowing what my response to some of the more craven ip bullshit would be um it, it is a um it, it is sort of if you if you come at it with a sort of morbid curiosity um it is a sort of grotesque spectacle in the way that like a train wreck is mm-hmm. um uh and, and it is you know passably entertaining as it just you know what i mean it, it's functional at times it's you know um but the yeah the attempts at jokes and i mean there's so many that are easy i mean when michael jordan shows up there's so much stuff that's sort of teed up and and then the payoff is just you know any it's just so many throwaway moments and gags and you know uh, i think yeah i mean it's it's not a good film uh i was probably a little generous to it just because i i was able to laugh um at its you know mistakes but uh it is a uh yeah i mean and it you know it did okay at the box office this weekend yeah it's what the people want people show us the ip people people love going to the movies and being like look there's that thing i know i mean you know say what you will about south park and i don't necessarily have many positive things to say about south park anymore but you know member berries really was like that is contemporary culture they 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 really put i've I've used that term in so many conversations they really did like it's all it is crystallize a thing before like it really before we really had like a word for it before it got really really bad before it got really really bad and yeah i mean um you know it's just the thing is it's just like nothing in the movie has any emotional payoff the stuff with lebron and his kid is too rudimentary too familiar the stuff with the looney tunes you know okay spoiler here i'm just you know who cares um 
There's like this weird, like sacrificial Bugs Bunny, like Bugs makes the sacrifice. Whoa! Spoiler! Right? (laughs) And you think like, oh my gosh, did did Bugs Bunny die? But then they never really explain like how he gets back in the... He's he's just like, the movie ends and he's just like, hey, I'm just going to be like living with your family now. And LeBron's like, okay. (laughs) There's, there's, like I said, there's, it's just such a contradiction. It's, the movie has too many stakes and also no stakes. It has, you know, it's, almost too self-conscious but then it's not self-conscious or self-aware at all um it's a bad film and yeah i mean at a certain point i even read this in a review i'm like i'm probably thinking about any of this too much just the less said about it the better uh if you're hanging out with a group of friends you need something dumb to watch there are worse options um but don't expect to there's nothing there's nothing good here and um the the notorious pig sequences um uh, yeah that's probably cinema's nadir this year i really don't think it gets much worse than uh rap battle porky pig well let's let's wrap things up with uh maybe a little bit of a conversation about something you and i are excited about um you know we're gonna we're gonna turn it into book club now because uh quentin tarantino wrote a novel he's been saying for years and years that he just wants to write books now which i guess you know all power all power to him um and he novelize the the film once upon a time in hollywood which you and i are both huge fans of and yep. you have a poster of right behind yourself I and do. um i'm i'm fascinated i i am not as far along in this book as you are i think you completed it right i have finished it yeah I've um it i i know ago. most of what happens in, okay. in it so feel free to you know that th- this is a no spoiler warning um yeah. But uh, I'm curious, like as as a fan, what were your opinions of the the book? It's kind of like seeing one of our great filmmakers try his hand at a totally different medium. Yeah. No, I mean I've seen people say he's not a great prose stylist, and I have to admit, um, I either don't care or don't like. You know, I don't know. I didn't expect him to be. Like, yeah, it's, Cormac it's... McCarthy or whatever. Like, yeah, it's didn't... like very Elmore Leonard. Like, like I don't like that's the the writer his prose reminds me the most of, which like yeah. isn't a surprise because he adapted an El- Elmore Leonard book, and so much of yep. his work is Elmore Leonard inspired. So I don't, I don't know. I was just yeah. like when I started reading, I was like, oh, so he's he's clearly yeah. like very inspired by Elmore Leonard, and this is like a quick page turner, like those. It is. It it moves quickly. Um, You know, my thing with Tarantino, so like you said, I'm a big fan of the movie. Um, I find it to be one of the most, you know, obviously when it came out, it was, you know, a hot button film, um, hugely popular, but also um, really evidently problematic, both for reasons that, you know, you can, one can support, um, you know, as much as he wants to go on Joe Rogan and try to spin his way out of it. Um, it's hard not to say that some of the Bruce Lee stuff doesn't always come off the best in the film. See, um, I, I, I think he shouldn't do that. I, He's, that okay. That, that is arguably one of the things that does kind of irritate me about, like the one complaint I do have about the arguably, book. Arguably, yeah. That, yeah, <laughs> is there are aspects of the book, and I think some of his press tour has not helped. Of It clearly seems him being like, I need to over-explain this to you and the, me being the like, man no, is, no, The man don't. is one of, one of the greatest American filmmakers, probably the greatest contemporary living popular director. Um, and there is nothing more than that I want 
than for him to shut up sometimes. And that's really, I really do mean that. It's just like, you know, he was talking the other day and he's like, well, you know, Sharon Tate, she's, you know, she's not defined by her death anymore. And it's all because of my movie. And it's like, oh, shut up. It's like, I, you had noble intentions with that. You really did. Despite um, some well-deserved controversy over his uh, descriptions of her body at some points in the novel, which right. become a little, I, I get what he's doing. He's trying to, you know, sort of do yeah. a compare and contrast between the male gaze of Sharon Tate and her own view, the chapters switch perspectives, stuff like that. I get it. Um, but it comes off a little bad, but you know, I do wish he would just shut up. Um, and in part because he doesn't need to do the press tour. The book itself is already the answer to every criticism the movie got when it came in theaters. It's right. really, really fascinating for, for better and for worse, for better and for worse, yeah. because it's really fascinating as this, you know, there aren't many reverse adaptations and it's really uh, a compelling sort of meta text uh, in which uh, the, the film and its issues are deconstructed and also its aims are clarified a bit. So part of the reason that I've, I've been so fascinated and I wrote about once upon a time in Hollywood um, as part of my undergrad thesis project um, alongside two other films that you wouldn't necessarily think uh, to pair it with. Uh, I, I wrote about it alongside Kelly Reichardt's Old Joy, who the two of them do not like each other's work, which was kind of no, why I enjoyed, no, I enjoyed pairing them together. Um, and as well as uh, Simon Leong's uh, Goodbye Dragon Inn, which maybe fits a little better, even though aesthetically they're very different. But um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a film where literally nothing happens for about two hours the uh the third act is where the bulk of the story happens um and you know it almost feels like a bit of a toss-off at that point there's an emotional narrative uh and things happen but there's so much you know dead time compared to your average hollywood movie that it, it plays like you know tarantino's ultimate sort of version of a hangout film but also almost closer to slow cinema at times where there is this sort of uh boredom that crept in for a lot of people um and you know the viewers those, who are those really people are nuts yeah i mean but there are the viewers who are paying attention get a lot from the sort of you know quotidian it is a film really about sort of daily rhythms and stuff like that which i find really fascinating the book the reason why i kind of loved the book um despite you know tarantino's sort of i you know a lot of people have said he has sort of juvenile impulses sometimes he does it's unfortunate i mean uh, as much as i love the sort of cathartic moment of the uh of the end of once upon a time in hollywood it's obviously in stark contrast to the rest of it i think everyone right. kind of agrees on that um but what i loved about the book is that it is um even more this is not a word but it's even more hangouty than the movie it's even more it pushes even further um uh, into sort of um non-narrative uh style where uh, I'm not sure how far into it you are, but I think you probably, if you know most of it, you obviously, you know, I think, would know this because it was kind of talked about at the time. The ending is just tossed off as like, a, yeah. it's it's on like the middle of the, the book stops. Um, it stops and ends actually at a uh, scene that was cut, which was a conversation between uh, Rick and, and Trudy Frazier. That's where it ends. So prior to any of the Italy stuff, prior to the, the CLO drive home invasion, um, but that's where it, uh, yeah, yeah, the ending is like, um, you know, and the ending since its release has been called a very um, reactionary and conservative ending. And it is, has been deemed a very reactionary and conservative film in some ways, because it's very much about a sort of old Hollywood 
you know, ma- very male old Hollywood fighting back against, you know, uh, a new generation and the hippies. Uh, obviously, I, you know, I was never able to take seriously the criticism when the film came out that, uh, you know, it was too violent against the Manson family. Right. Just, that to me is an oxymoron. Too violent against the Manson family. No, or, or I, even I, I, I was yeah. always on the the point of people. You know, I I even kind of like raised my eyebrow a little bit at like I got where some of the like it's a con, like reactive conservative movie. I got where some yeah. of that um you know those takes were coming from, but also yeah. being like I don't know. I watch it and it's just sort of like here's these like two doofuses who just sort of like. Yeah accidentally like wind up in like um you know changing the course of history or something and, it, it's and, like, a, yeah it's yeah, a, and it, it's great dramatic irony really I mean, right because it's like you said it's it's two guys and this is you know lots of people said this in the first but and yeah two guys who almost unwittingly you know they'll never realize the sort of pathos of what they did and i think for me the thing that it, it, the film's critics have always missed is how deeply melancholic of a movie it is um you know there is a really profound emotional charge that comes for that final shot you know Mm. saving sharon tate even though you can't really save sharon tate you can't change history um it it is the way it is all you can do is produce uh an alternate fantasy of it um and that to me is the movie's you know crystal clear achievement the book really goes in an opposite direction and um it is profoundly digressive as a story. It is, you know, one of the chapters that's gotten a lot of attention on Twitter is that early in it, uh, there's like 30 pages on Cliff Booth's opinions on art house movies, um, which and my, it's very... my favorite chapter in the book, even though like it's it's also the we, we maybe talk about it a little bit like the way Cliff is written in the the book, I think will maybe come as a bit of a a, a shock to fans yeah. of Brad Pitt's performances of is it's it's so much of what I find interesting about this book is the you know it, it as an object of what works in a movie versus what works in a novel and the things yeah. and him clearly thinking about okay these let me rewrite this scene but um you know what's a way that I could do it that you could only do it in a book, for example, yep. like, you know, the, the example he's brought up a lot on the press tour is the, the spawn ranch sequence of like, you, you could not recapture sort of the tension of that. You could maybe come close, but couldn't really recapture like the tension of that, especially now that the movie's out. Yep. Cause that is cinematic. I assume one of the reasons he didn't do the sort of big brawl with the Manson family at the end is a, because of the, the, it loses the shock value as well as just sort of like that is a a sort of a visual fight sequence and of just sort of you don't yeah. get the same sort of visceral visceral pleasure or exhilaration on the page and so him thinking all right what stuff from the movie can i lose what stuff can i keep on what stuff from the movie is is just pure cinema. Like I also thinking about there's there's long sequences in the movie that are just like people driving around. Yeah. And, and the like, music, the music, I love that soundtrack and you right. can't get really any of that beyond going Cliff was driving down the freeway and had uh, WKHG right. playing in the background and but it's then like, in it's a all book, you're get. Yeah. yeah, but then in a book you could have kind of long passages of like someone's inner thoughts like there's yep. the scene that's not in the movie where um Pussycat the character that uh 
uh, Margot Qualley. Yep. Play yes, that plays in the movie that is her doing a a kind of creepy crawl, sort of breaking into someone's house and oh, yeah. having this mental conversation with Charlie Manson, who's not actually there, but it's all happening. It's all a conversation that's happening in her head, and you could maybe try and do that with the movie, but it wouldn't be as effective. Or um you know the i i thought of this just because of the the cliff section of like so much of that section is just like well let me talk about let's get to know cliff based off of his opinions of movies which would be boring to watch in a movie of and it's interesting to see tarantino's um version of cliff as on the page versus in a movie you are getting cliff the character tarantino wrote through the prism of brad pitt and it's kind of funny that like the on the page version of cliff is like huh so he's he's kind of a violent psychopath which maybe you get touches of in the movie of just like this guy is all has like an insanely violent side and could probably kill you even though he seems like cool fun brad pitt but in the book seems like a danger <laughs> incredibly dangerous psychopath yeah. who also just really likes Akira Kurosawa movies and <laughs> has like these like very interesting thoughts about um cinema in the 1950s and the differences between Hollywood movies and the foreign films that were coming out around that time which I have to assume is is Tarantino maybe like putting down a little bit of his own thoughts which I I thought was very oh, yeah. fun um I, I I don't know. I just think that the to me the sort of fun in reading the book is him reimagining this material and trying to think, okay, throw out the movie essentially. How can I do a story with these characters and with this world, but do it in a way that you could only do as a book? Because and him talking about like that scene with um rick dalton on the phone with i forget the name of the little girl trudy um, with with trudy and i don't know if you saw the interview where tarantino was like yeah that was a great scene or maybe it wasn't with him yeah but he mentioned he was like yeah but it just didn't really fit within the flow of the movie and so they had to cut it i think it was somebody yeah i can't remember who yeah but like that that makes sense of like you know the movie has to have its own flow and has to it's not broken into chapters and it has to that manson sequence is the climax in the movie and you can't have something that just sort of like stalls your movie for a second but in a book you can kind of go on and on about x person's history and um what they think about this movie and you know getting to know people through their taste in popular culture and kind of what they think of the stuff around them um and having kind of interior monologues within their head um i I don't know are there any other examples from the book that you wanted to highlight of that kind of like stylistic change that he's making between the the material yeah i mean definitely you, you touched on it already but the the cliff stuff is by far the most fascinating in part because it is um you know, just a different spin on the character of, you know, he, in the book, he's essentially a incredibly intelligent, still very charming sociopath. I mean, it's, it it clarifies the character um, and does sort of act as sort of an indictment of the viewer of like, oh, you love this guy in the movie. And yet, you know, uh, he's, he's a terrible person. And, uh, you know, it's a very complicated game he's playing. You know, I love, you haven't gotten to the ending yet, 
but it isn't really a spoiler. They he kind of reimagines the um, post shooting hangout, you know, in the movie. Uh, Ricky oh, would yeah. go back to the uh, house and drink beer. Um, instead, in the section. book, they go to this like old timers bar. Uh, it's this very you know Tarantino loves Rio Bravo. Um, you know, it was a clear influence on the movie. Um, clear influence on a lot of his style, but you know, it has this very sort of like you know john wayne and dean martin in the you know hold up in the cabin and they're everybody's just chatting and hanging out and stuff like that and you know it it really does sort of double down on his style and i i do love the other stuff where it's like you know i mentioned the conservative impulse earlier a little bit where you know there were always questions of does he realize that this is conservative does he see it as conservative one of my favorite little throwaways is that um in the uh in the novel like they're able to go a little bit further into the future and talk about like what the public reaction is to the Cielo drive, uh, home invasion. Uh-huh. And, uh, it's like, Rick became a hero of the Nixon silent majority. And it's like, okay, <laughs> he clearly knows that like, this is like a little conservative in style. Um, and so, yeah, it's stuff like that, that I feel like was a little bit of an answer to the the criticism, you know, even the Bruce Lee scene in the book plays as, you know, another example of kind of cliff being an asshole rather than which the movie a little bit too but you know i under, i understood why people were, were mad about that scene but um i agree with you you know the ability to sort of you know more than just spend time with her you know to get thought sharon tate's thoughts on her day-to-day life or what tarantino imagines were her thoughts which i'm sure are not fully one of the same um and uh you know rick dalton's sort of interior monologue you know stuff like i mean film is a a deeply collaborative art as everyone has always said i mean one of the funny things about um what's fun time in hollywood is that like and you know it's it's unimaginable to me without this aspect um in the original version they just sort of shot the lancer pilot and there was no like rick breaking down in the uh trailer there was no you know uh no flubbing his lines they just filmed the scene and went with it which in the book you get more of like just like there's whole chapters devoted to the lancer world and filling it like Mm -hmm. clearly he's very invested in that mythology um but dicaprio came up with the idea of having him flub his lines and apparently tarantino was pissed at first but then later realized that it was the best right. way to do it but in the book it's like a little tossed off it's like you see the aftermath of it and like right. not all the the stuff like that so you know it's clear the stuff that meant a lot to tarantino and the stuff that sort of made it into the movie otherwise but you know it's a decidedly you know i, I think one of the most interesting things about the film like i mentioned earlier is that you know Without the Manson finale, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a deeply uncommercial film. Um, yeah. It's a very niche sort of thing. Um, and it's sort of brought to, uh, you know, uh, popular status by virtue of its finale. Um, which, you know, when I watched it with friends, uh, it was all kind of like waiting around. Like people were starting, you could tell people were starting to get a little, uh, you know, for me, I'm luxuriating in the film itself. Mm-hmm. But I, could, I knew that people were, you know, just wanting to see the action. Um, the book has no impetus to be, you know, popular in tone. It's not really trying to be like a bestseller or anything. It's for the very limited audience of people who really care about this world and are really invested in it. Um, and for me, that was what made it most fascinating because for me, it clarified his own aims and what meant a lot to him with the project. You know, um, yeah, he's a director with a fairly inflated ego, probably. You know, he puts himself 
in the book. You yes. haven't gotten to this part yet, I'm sure. But um, I, I have heard about it, though. <laughs> where he is like directs uh, Trudy Frazier to an Academy Award nominated performance. And he also appears as a uh, referenced as a six year old kid. You know, I think people forget a lot beneath all the controversy and beneath the sort of violence and what he does. Um, this was kind of a memory film as well, where he, you know, tried to make something that reflected uh, his experience of, of, you know, Manson's or the Manson time period and his childhood in Los Angeles. And so, you know, it was a very moving book with stretches that made me cringe and stretches that made me laugh. And, uh, you know, for people who don't really like the movie, wouldn't recommend it per se. I don't think it's going to like change your mind. Um, for those who do, though, and for those who uh, are interested in Tarantino's body of work in general, I, I think it's a it's a real treat. Well, Josh, thank you for for coming by this week and discussing Can and Space Jam and Tarantino's book. Um, look forward to having you back when Quentin Tarantino makes his tenth movie, which will be um, Space Jam Three. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> cinema will truly die on that day. Uh,